Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
If you would, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We're going OT today, Judges chapter 6. I don't know about you, but is there, is there anyone in here that just feels like, man, this week's been a week to get attacked? I'm just curious. I see one hand, two hands, three hands, four hands, five hands, six hands, seven hands. Okay. All right. Um, thank you, praise team for reminding us that our God has no rival, right? Our God has no equal. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to be looking in Judges chapter 6, talking about underdogs. Talking about underdogs. And I love the underdog story. I love watching underdog movies, even if they're not real. Like my favorite underdog movie has to be Rocky. The, the whole entire Rocky series, maybe not the last ones, but like the first four were, were great. I love those stories. And, and I was talking to somebody and, and they told me just last week that they don't like the Rocky movies. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Right? And, and they said, they just don't like Sylvester Stallone. And I'm like, okay, all right, just pretend it's somebody else. But you need to watch those, need to watch those movies. I love the underdog stories. I love the underdogs in sports, man. The men's hockey team uh, in 1980, right, that beat the Soviets. That was called the Miracle Team, right? That, or the Miracle on Ice. That was phenomenal. Here is this group of college kids 
taking on the four-time gold medalist champion powerhouse Soviet team that was said to be one of the greatest teams ever in all of sports, right? And they beat them. I love the underdog story. When a, and I don't even like hockey, but I still like that story, right? Uh, when an underdog manages to somehow win, it's incredible. Doesn't happen a lot uh, all the time, most of the time. You know, it's, it's kind of rare, but when it does, it's great. And there's something that I want us to learn from this, though, right? What are you facing right now? What, what battle? Somebody said you're feeling attacked. What's before you? What, what battle is staring you in the face right now? We have a tendency to see ourselves as the underdogs. When there's a huge army, right? When there's a huge mountain. When, when we're talking to Russ and he's like, the doctors are telling us really there's no good answer for Sarah. You know, she's either going to die from pneumonia, drowning in her saliva, or she's not going to be able to breathe, or she's not going to be able to eat because she needs a feeding tube. There's no answer, right? What do you, what's before you today? Because, like I said, a lot of times we see ourselves as the underdog when we're looking at these things that are before us. But here's the thing that I want us to learn today, is that with God we're never the underdog. We're never, right? He has no rival. He has no equal. And he's with us, right? That's the crux of my message. You can probably get some sleep now if you just cut that part from this. But (laughs) there's more to it, all right? I promise. I I can't wait to get into this. But I want us to see ourselves as warriors. Women too, right? You're warriors. I want us all to see ourselves as warriors. I want us to realize that we have people to protect. We have a kingdom to advance. And we have battles that need our engagement in them. There are battles that we're called to be in. Yeah, there's an enemy, but he's been defeated. We serve the King of Kings. We serve the Lord of Lords. And because of that one thing, we are never underdogs. Amen? We're going to look at the story of Gideon today. I'm sure you're familiar with it. We're not going to read all of chapters 6 and 7, but I would encourage you to go back and read it all in its fullness, right? This is the Word of God. This is heaven's breath, right? That's what inspired means. This is divinely breathed on, and I hope you read that. I hope you approach it in that fashion when you do open it up. Right? Go back and read all of Judges 6 7. We're going to cover a bunch of it, but read it all. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Here's the context of the story, right? The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, don't just skip over that, don't miss it. The people were doing evil. You see, they were worshiping other gods, they were worshiping false gods, they were worshiping gods like Baal. They were married, they were in covenant with the one true God, and yet they had rejected him and had started to worship these other gods. These other gods had done nothing for them. They rejected the one God that saved them, that brought them out of bondage, right? They rejected that. They broke their their marriage vow. They took off their wedding ring, and they started to fool around. They started to commit adultery, they started worshiping these other gods. That's, that's why they're in this position. Let's not forget that as we go through this, all right? So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. The enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. 
They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Well, the people, under the weight of this oppression, cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet. The prophet reminds them, first of all, of all the things that God has done for them. Like I said, he saved them out of the hand of slavery, right? And then the prophet reminds them, even though God did all of that for you, even though he, he, he lifted you up, right, he brought you out of that, you rejected him, and you started worshiping these other gods. Now this is where we meet Gideon, though. Gideon is a great person for you and I to look at. I can relate to this guy because there are flashes of bravery in this guy and there are flashes of cowardness in this guy, both in there. He's not one way or the other. We're going to see that. Verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was thrusting wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said this, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So when we meet Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, you would never thresh wheat in a wine press. You would always thresh wheat out in the open air where the wind could blow. You'd throw that wheat up. The wind would come and carry away the lighter chaff, and it would end up separating that. Gideon's at the bottom of the of an enclosed pit so that he could hide, right? Because he was afraid of the Midianites. I get that. I get that. I don't blame him. Midianites had killed his brother. So there's good reason for him to be fearful. There's good reason for him to be afraid. But notice this. As he was hiding, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and says something. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I love that because you know Gideon, currently hiding, does not feel like a mighty hero. He doesn't see that in himself. I'm sure he doesn't at this point. But God sees something he can't see, right? And I wonder if that's something that we all need to realize when God calls us. What does he see? What's our potential, right? Now, what happens when the angel says this to him? It's the same thing that happens to us. We question it. We question it. Our our insecurities come out. And we question God's word. Verse 13, Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, back in the, in the Near East, the way the word of God was passed down before we had the Bible in a printed form was the Hebrews would tell stories. They would tell stories and stories and remind people. They did something, though. They told the stories in a way that they wrote themselves into the story when they would tell it. Even if they weren't the ones that experienced it, they would still write themselves into it. You can see this by this passage, right? They said, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. When we were enslaved, God rescued us. Even if it was hundreds of years later, even if it was thousands of years later, they still wrote themselves into the story. So Gideon is thinking, I know these stories. I've been written into these stories, and it feels like God has abandoned us. And that's what it looks like, right? Where is God in all of this? Haven't we wondered that ourselves? Haven't you read the Bible, heard the miraculous stories, and kind of wondered that too at times? We see the miracles, though, don't we? But hasn't there been a time where you've wondered, where is God in all of this? Why don't we see it like it? Why doesn't it happen but how did they get there? Remember? They rejected God. They were worshiping idols, other gods. They were duty evil. Gideon doesn't acknowledge that, right? We often don't as well. 
we overlook the part where we aren't following God, when, when we are disobeying God, and yet we still have the nerve to blame God, to question, where are you, God, in these moments? Why isn't he helping us? When the problems come our way, make sure the first place you look is inward. I'm not saying it's always going to be because you're disobeying God. You can experience problems when you're obeying God. But make sure the first place you look is inward and do that self-check. Am I following God? Am I doing what God calls me to do? And, And never go to the place where you blame him. Never go to the place where you just blame other people. But the Lord turned to him and said in verse 14, Go in the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. In other words, I've prepared you. I've equipped you. You're a mighty hero. I'm sending you. Go do it. Let me remind you, you have a people to protect, a kingdom to advance, right? Battles to engage in. Gideon replies, and it's not, yes, Lord, I'm going to go. You're with me. I'm full of faith. I'll do what you called me to do. That's not his reply, right? It's, but Lord. But Lord, let me give you all the reasons that I'm not the right person for this. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My, can, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Have you ever done that? I have, right? When the Lord calls me to something, I have what I call my resume of excuses. I got it printed out. I got it ready to go. I got the list, right? Here's all the reasons why you got the wrong person. Did you read my resume, God? You got the wrong person. I'm the least in my tribe, right? My clan's the least. That's what Gideon was saying. Hmm. I think we all do this. You sense God is calling you to something. Maybe it's to share your faith with a friend or a coworker. But there has to be somebody better equipped. There's got to be somebody better that can speak to them than me. They, they might ask something I can't answer. Maybe God's calling you to start giving, and you're like, Lord, we need to get in a better place, though, before we can financially give. When that happens, then we will. Lord, I'm scared to speak in front of people, right? You should ask this person because they're really good at speaking in front of people. They would be perfect. After all, they know a lot more than I know. They'd be a better choice. Here's my resume of excuses. God said, go in the strength you have, though, right? Go in the strength you have. You have what you need. But Lord, here's my resume. Then the Lord said to him, I'll be with you. Right? I'll be with you. And you'll destroy the Midianites as as if you were fighting against one man. You have everything you need to fight and win. Not on your own you don't. On your own you'll be in trouble. You have everything you need to overcome. Everything mighty hero with Christ problem is our focus is on our strength our faith is on ourselves and our abilities and we don't realize the god that goes before us we don't realize the god who fights for us we don't realize that he has no rival he has no equal right that's who's with us well god's going to take test his faith test his commitment in verse 25 That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. How long have the Israelites been oppressed? Seven years, right? It's coming to an end. Grab a bull, seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Remember, why did this all happen? Where did this all come from? The Israelites were doing evil. The Israelites were unfaithful. The Israelites had taken off their wedding ring and were worshiping other gods. Apparently, Gideon's father had a temple to Baal on his property. And God says to tear it down. To do so would have taken a lot of courage, right? Gideon's going to have to go up against his father. Big no-no in this culture. He's going to have to go up against him. 
Not only him, but other people would have been worshiping, would have been sacrificing at this altar. It was a place for the town to go as well. And for these people, an attack on the altar was an attack on the government, was an attack on the town. So there's going to be a lot of angry people if Gideon goes through with this. What's he do, though? He follows the word of the, law, of the Lord. It's a higher law right? When politics and government comes in and they pass laws that go against the word of God, we are held accountable to a higher law. We're held accountable to the word of God. We are bound not to follow those laws. We are bound to speak against those laws. Make no mistake, it'll take courage to stand against the culture, right? But that's what we're called to do. And I tell you what, we're going to see this more and more in the coming days. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. Yes, right? He's following God's commandment. Sign of bravery. Remember what we said, though? A sign of bravery, a sign of cowardice. When's he do it? But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Mighty hero. Isn't that what God called him? Mighty hero. I don't know if I see it yet, but maybe that's the point. Early the next morning, the people of the town discover what's happened. They discover who did it. They tell his dad, hey, bring him out so that we can kill him. That's how serious this was. Bring him out so he can kill him. But his dad says something. Hey, listen, why are you fighting for Baal? If Baal's a real God, let Baal take care of my son and, and take him down, right? And so the townspeople agree to this, and the town people give him a new name, Jerubael, which means let Baal defend himself. So Gideon wins a victory. His faith is increased, and he gets a cool name. God's building his confidence through the small battles, right, before the big battle that's coming. God's building his faith. At the end of chapter 6, though, the enemy gathers, they gather at the Valley of Jezreel, 135,000 strong. 135,000 strong. Verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn and as a call to arms. And the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers through Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, summoning, summoning their warriors and all of them responded. Side note, can I, can I tell you, I love it when it says all of them responded. All of them responded. That encourages me. So the army is assembling for Gideon, right? And Gideon sees it. He also sees who he's going up against. And he's outnumbered four to one. This is an underdog story, right? So he does what a lot of us do. He starts to question, what did God actually say? Did I really hear God right? Does he really want me to do this? Is that the direction he's asking us to go? So he puts a fleece out. He asks God for a sign, and, and God gives him that sign. Now, I, I want to tell you, be careful here. Because sometimes we read this, and we see that God answers this sign, this request, and we think it's a good way to do things. I, I'm not sold on that. All right, be careful about putting out fleeces. Generally speaking, when people ask God for a sign, right, it's, it's not looked on well. So I'm, that's my personal opinion. Be careful with asking for a sign. If you notice, Gideon is worried about angering God when he does this, and I think there's something beside that, right? So I, I wouldn't recommend doing it just because it's in the Bible. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way to go. It's just like I wouldn't make a decision by casting lots, but you see that in the Old Testament. You see people rolling the dice and using that to determine a decision. I wouldn't recommend that just like I honestly wouldn't recommend putting out a fleece. My opinion, though. God gives Gideon a sign, but it's not good enough. So Gideon asks for another one, which seems to show a lack of faith on his part. Now, while I say that, I totally understand it, though, because I've been there too, right? Is this really you, God, telling me to do this, right? Can you give me a sign? And I've asked for a sign. When he's given me that sign, then I question that sign, right? 
Is it just a coincidence that he's wearing a blue tie? You know, I said I would witness to this person if he wears a blue tie today, right? That's why I want us to be careful with the whole sign things. I think it's a dangerous game to play. So what should we do, though? Because we've all been here, right? We've all questioned, is this really you, God, speaking? The greatest means of God's guidance is his word, though. Pure and simple. It's his word. Be in his word. Look to it. Study it. Right? Know it. And in time, you'll have the wisdom to make that determination. You'll know because you're so full of this, you'll hear the same voice that you hear here speaking to you. Be in this, right? That's, God tells us to ask for wisdom, doesn't he? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, right? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. Before I'd ask for a sign, I'd just ask for God's wisdom. But Gideon asks for a second sign, and God provides it. I wonder, though, if, if Gideon's apparent lack of faith is why this next part happens. Because I know God does what he does in this next part to really grow Gideon's faith. It needed to grow, right? Chapter 7, Gideon's looking at his army, looking at the enemy. And if that's me, I'm a numbers guy, right? I'm thinking, we don't have enough. We're short. We are outnumbered pretty darn good. We're, we're definitely underdogs. God looks at the same situation, though, and he says this in verse 2. You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 leave. 22,000 of them went home leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Yikes. If I'm Gideon, man, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm thinking I was nervous with 32,000, but now I got 10,000, and we're going up against 135,000. Over 13 to 1, right? God doesn't like those odds either, and he says, you still got too many. What? Right? Tell the ones that remain to go out and drink some water. And he, God separates them by the way they drink the water. 9,700 of them drink it one way. 300 of them drink it another way. And he says, send the 9,700 home. Leaving 300. And I don't think these are 300 Spartans. Right? 300. Gideon moves on from an underdog story to a Mission Impossible story. 300 against 135,000, told you a math person, right? It's over 400 to 1. That means everybody in Gideon's army is going to have to kill 450 men in the Midianite army. Here's the thing, though. What Gideon is about to learn is that with God, the way forward sometimes starts with a setback. The way forward sometimes starts with a setback. You can almost expect that. All right? Uh, oftentimes, when somebody starts a ministry, when somebody takes a leap of faith, when somebody starts to do something that God calls them to do, oftentimes the way forward starts with a setback. And Lanny said, Thank you, Lord. All right? That's true. The enemy starts attacking. The enemy starts attacking not just you, but your family, right? Your home. I'll give you an example that you see often, right? You, you might at some point in your life started to give, started to tithe maybe. You've made up your mind, we're going to start doing that. We're going to commit to that. And, and I guarantee you what's happened. Your hours were cut, your car broke down, or something happened, and you're like, what in the world is going on? Hey, God, you're calling me to give. You're calling me to tithe, right? And yet... Uh, all of a sudden, this, this setback happens. What's going on, God? I don't get it. I told you a story when we were building this church, right? God gave me a specific number to give above, uh, above our tithe to, to give to this. And three months into that two-year commitment, right, my income gets cut in half. My income gets cut in half three months into that two-year commitment. And it was the best thing in the world that could have ever happened to me. A setback, yes, 
what appeared to be a, a setback, yes. But man, that setback made me totally depend on Christ. Totally depend on God. And he was faithful. He allowed that to happen, to teach me a lesson, to grow my faith. Setback. Setback is my current season in ministry right now. Flashback to November of last year. Church is growing, right? Church is doing good. December, church is getting better. We're growing in numbers. I'm feeling really good. The, the week before Christmas, 150 people here, right? The next week, 50. 50. January, uh, not so good numbers. February, not so good numbers. Man, setback, setback. I, I'm wondering what's going on. Why, God? What happened? The army's getting smaller, right? I thought we were moving in the right direction. I thought we were moving in the right way. And what starts coming into my head? Failure, right? It's what happens, what comes into all of our heads. You're blowing it. You're failing. Why does it keep shrinking? What are you doing wrong? The church is dying, and that's on you. Insecurity starts screaming louder than our faith. I know you've experienced this too. When, whenever you start some kind of move, whenever you step out on faith, man, I always tell people when they come to know Christ, expect the enemy to come and attack you. Expect the enemy to come and tell you that you're full of it, that this is crazy. What in the world are you thinking, right? Expect that. Setback? Or is this another faith, faith moment for me? A moment where maybe God can strip away some pride and teach me something in my quiet time. I heard this. Be careful you don't blame yourself for the, de- for the declines because if you blame yourself for the decline, you might take credit for the increases. Right? Yeah. Now I'm praying, Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. Man, you bring the people in. I'll just be faithful with who you bring in. That's what we're called to do. Right? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's responsible for that. Sometimes he has to strip you of your self-confidence, of your self-trust, your self-dependence, right? Your, your dependence on your own strength so he can take you deeper because there's a bigger battle coming, right? Sometimes you got to grow because there's something bigger coming. My, friend, my friends, there are bigger battles coming our way in America. I know it. You feel it. You know it too. Don't be surprised if you take that leap of faith only to seem like you take a step back after doing it. You have a setback. What's your battle that you're called to fight right now? What's your battle? Are you fighting an addiction? Are you fighting a lifestyle change? Has God called you to a new ministry? Don't be surprised if you have a setback. Trust him, trust the process, trust what he's doing, no matter what comes your way, and keep moving forward, right? Gideon is having trouble seeing a way forward with only 300 men, but God gives them the battle plan. It's an interesting battle plan. Take your 300 men, take a ram's horn, take a pot, take a torch, right? Divide your, divide your men into hundreds, groups of, three groups of 100, and go surround the, the Midianite camp. And wait for me, and when I tell you, Pull out the torch, blow the ram's horn, and shout for Gideon and for the Lord. I'm sorry, for the Lord and for Gideon. That's the plan. That's the plan for Gideon, and that's what he shares with his 300 men. If that's mean, and I, me and I don't mean any disrespect or reverence to God, but that seems like a horrible plan, right? If that's the plan that I'm, I'm going to be looking at all these 135,000 people to go up against, man, uh, I'm feeling scared. I'm a little bit worried with that plan, facing those odds. Gideon has to be afraid, right? But, but hear me in this. Being afraid doesn't excuse you from doing what God calls you to do. I know God's called you to do something. I know you've been afraid. Being afraid does not excuse you from doing what God calls you to do to do. Me too. I, I am all the time scared to do stuff, right? 
but we can't let that stop us from doing what God calls us to do. Verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They all held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And notice this next part. This is what stood out to me this time when I was reading it. Verse 21. Each man did what? Held his position. Stood his ground. They didn't run. They didn't cower. They did what God called them to do. They stood their ground around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting, right? They ran to escape. Verse 22, when the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled. My friends, I believe that God is calling us to stand our ground. Stand your ground. I'm telling you, with the culture that we're in, the battle's coming. Stand your ground. There are battles coming in your marriage, right? Stand your ground. There are battles coming with your kids. Stand your ground. You're going to face impossible situations that you can't see a way out of. You're going to feel like you're standing there with 300 people about to take on 135,000, and you can't see how it's going to work out. Stand your ground. And remember who's with you. Right? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. I, I pray that we do that. Teens, man, if you feel like you're the only one in school following God, stand your ground. Be that light, right? If you're the, you're the person at the workplace and you're the only follower of Christ, be that light. Stand your ground, right? You're going to try to figure out how to win the battle. You're going to try to figure out how to be successful. But you're only going to have this little army, this little bit, and you're going to realize, man, I can't do this on my own. Praise God, you don't have to. God says, go in your own strength. Right? And remember, I'm with you. Don't you abandon your post. Don't bow down to the culture. Men, be fathers, right? We have a huge problem in this nation where men are not fathers anymore. They're bailing out on their marriages, they're bailing out on their kids, leaving them to defend themselves. We have a huge problem, and I speak from experience, right? We have a huge problem in our marriages where people are just bailing. Stand your ground. Every warrior's greatest fear is failure, but every warrior's biggest pain is regret. Don't bail. If you fall, get back into it. Do everything that you can. It might be out of your hands, but make the effort, right? Keep going. If you quit, re-engage. We have people to protect, a kingdom to advance, and battles to engage in. There's battles to fight, right? And watch God fight those battles. Trust God will fight those battles, right? We're, we're in a war, and too many Christians are abandoning their posts, of, afraid to, to speak out, afraid to stand. They cower, right? I've done that, cowered away from things, hid from things. We can't do that, though. Too many people are shrinking and falling away in fear. Ephesians chapter 6, you know this passage. It's about a spiritual war. And it says this. It's about the armor of God, right? Therefore, put on, and this isn't just talking to men, right? Ladies, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it will, you may be able to do what? Stand your ground. Stand with me. Can you, can you hear this, right? Can you write yourself into the story? When you hear this passage, when you go home and read it, can you hear this? The Lord is with you, mighty hero. Ladies, 
Gentlemen, the Lord is with you, mighty hero. Stand your ground. Focus in on the one who is with you. When the enemy tells you, you're not the right person, you can't do this, there's better people out there, right? You don't listen to the enemy. You listen to the one who says you can do all things through me, through Christ who gives you strength. When lust or old urges come your way, you continue to stand your ground. You grab a buddy and you ask them to stand with you, right? Even if you have a setback, you step back in. You re-engage. Don't back down. Because you know with God, all things are possible. Right? He has no rival. He has no equal. And because of that, you're never the underdog. He's with you. Amen? What's the impossible battle before you today? What are you facing? A person who, who you're just desperate to change. I'm thinking about somebody in my life right now that's lost. And it, and it seems like an impossible situation. But I know there's a God who sees them. There's a God who's reaching out to them, right? What's your impossible battle before you? You do what you can in your own strength, but you realize who stands with you you stand your ground and you trust the battle of him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us. I know it might seem weird to see ourselves as mighty heroes, Lord. There, there's no pride in that, Father. We know that you're the ones who fight our battles. But help us to not shrink back from fear. Help us to be warriors, Help us to be people who stand our ground no matter what comes against us. Father, if it means losing our job, help us to stand. If it means ridicule in a school, help us to stand our ground. Father, if somebody comes against us with lies, with accusations, Lord, with a, with a, with a spirit that's just ugly, Father, help us to remember that you fight our battles. You'll take care of it. Help us to just stand. Father, I know we're going to be afraid. Don't let that stop us. Help us to still step out in faith, Lord. If you're calling us to something and we're experiencing the setback, Lord, remind us that you're there with us, that you can change it, that you can use it for our good. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.